Welcome to Canebaum Podcast, episode 19. I'm Tom Barthel, gladly serving as your host for this episode. We'll begin with God's Word for You by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 5, verses 8 to 16. This part of Job is quoted clearly in the New Testament's in the New Testament in uh, 1 Corinthians 3. But its themes resound in other places as well. I think most notably in Mary's song of praise called the Magnificat. Let's read verses 8 to 10. But if it were I, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. He bestows rain on the earth. He lets water, he sends water upon the countryside. The NIV, I just, I guess I have to say this. The NIV has a grammatical slip in verse 8, but I'm just going to overlook it. Maybe Isaiah was echoing the words of verse 9 by using the identical phrase, Ein Heker cannot be fathomed. His understanding no one can fathom. The, the writer to the Hebrews may also have been echoing verse 9 when he said, God also testified by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Solomon seems to have had verse 10 in mind. When he compared the blessings of a godly king to the blessings that come from God, Psalm 72, he will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. Verse 11. The lowly he sets on high, but those who mourn are lifted to safety. And, oh, here, both Hannah's song of praise in 1 Samuel and Mary's Magnificat in Luke 1 have echoes of this chapter, maybe especially this part of uh, maybe just this verse. Uh, Hannah said, The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash heap. And Mary said, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I think Paul might have been thinking of this verse also when he wrote, He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. That's 1 Corinthians 1. Paul was certainly thinking of the verses that follow later in the same letter. Verse 12. He thwarts the plans of the crafty, so that their hands achieve no success. Uh, the word translated success, tushia, is a somewhat rare technical term for like sound wisdom and its effects. It's success in the sense of success just as one had planned. So it's never an accident. It's the victory of Proverbs 2 and and Job 12. It's the wisdom of Isaiah 28, the true wisdom of Job 11, the great insight of Job 26, the sound judgment of Proverbs 18. Victory also has a general meaning of of Tushayah in Ugaritic, a language very similar to Hebrew. Here, Eliphaz maintains that God will permit no true victory based on the plans of the crafty. This is true in the spiritual sense, but when we only look to the world around us, we see that the wicked and the heathen are capable of great success in the world, whether the uh, oh, 1990 Gardiner Museum theft or the exploits of Pearson Agar and the 1855 Great Train Robbery. Uh, well-planned crimes do tend to pay until Judgment Day. Verses 13 and 14. He catches the wise in their craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are swept away. Darkness comes upon them in the daytime. At noon they grope as in the night. 
Verse 13 is quoted by Paul. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God's sight. And it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. That's 1 Corinthians 3. It's worth noticing that Paul does not quote the Septuagint's translation, but as Paul often does, he makes his own translation directly from the Hebrew into Paul's Greek as he writes. I believe that uh, verse 14 is also the phrase that occurs several times in Elizabethan drama. Um, I'll go to bed at noon. I think its most famous appearance is as the final line spoken by Shakespeare's wisest fool as the schemes of Lear are swept away in King Lear Act 3. Verses 15 and 16. He saves the needy from the sword of their mouth. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts its mouth. Three times in Job there are references to clutches, literally the hands of someone reaching out to hurt or destroy. Here are the clutches of the powerful. And in reply, Job will describe the clutches of ruthlessness in chapter 6. Later in chapter 16, he'll complain about being thrown into the clutches of the wicked. Verse 16 is taken up in a similar form in Psalm 107, but all the wicked shut their mouths. And Isaiah 52 says that kings will shut their mouths because of him, because of Christ. Eliphaz presents a convincing argument. Job should appeal to God because God performs miracles and he provides for the world. He doesn't let the plans of those who ignore him succeed. He cares for the lowly and the needy and the poor. Here is a place where we can agree completely with what's been said. Even though Eliphaz doesn't know why Job is suffering, or he has the wrong idea about it, he has the right solution. We put our trust completely in God because God alone can rescue us. We look to him for help. And we can be assured, our help will come. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Next, we'll listen to Precious Lord, Take My Hand, performed by Koine.
and the night draws near, and the day is almost gone. Love responds with rescue. Genesis fourteen, thirteen to sixteen. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all who were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the three hundred eighteen trained men born in his household, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods, and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the woman and the other people. Abram clearly loved his nephew. He didn't have any obligation to protect Lot anymore. They parted ways. It was Lot's choice to leave Abram and to live in the plains by Sodom. It was Lot's choice to go with Abram's offer to separate ways. Lot's city was the one that tried to resist the warning, the warring alliance of the four kings. It was the king of Sodom, Lot's new home, that had failed to win the battle. Now Lot fell into his rightful lot in life, didn't he? He should have well known there that where there is wealth, there is only war. Lot no doubt had indeed swallowed the lie that Satan would have all of us consume until we die, that we can somehow find a perfect place of prosperity in this world. Sodom may have enjoyed fertile lands, but it was no Eden. Along with the terrible wickedness of sin of the people of Sodom, which, by the way, Jude calls a sin of sexual immorality for which God destroys them, a warning for the ages, but along with that sin... And that problem came the political strife as well. To what length would you expend yourself and your resources to help another? Sometimes we fail even to give the smallest help to a family member or a brother in the faith because of the poorest excuses. It's his fault. Why should I have to help him? He wanted to do that. Sometimes when it lies in our power to help, we cower at the cost it would take us the miles, the manpower, the time. Abram was rich, but he was also human. He had an obligation to help his nephew, but who would have faulted him if he concluded he couldn't help? Yet Abram echoes the heart of the Lord in whom he trusts. He goes after Lot. You can imagine the prayer and the yearning of his heart which accompanied this action. He risks 318 men under his household and placed under his hands in order to save Lot. And it was no small feat. 
He ended up chasing after the captured men of Sodom and Gomorrah all the way north, a couple days' journey, to north beyond Damascus. After routing and pursuing them, he finally recovered all that had been taken captive, including Lot. Love responds with rescue, and the cost isn't a factor to cancel out love. God did not spare his own son to rescue you. The love shown by Abram was both a trust in God who promised him the land and a love like God, a love like God which is for those who don't really deserve it. And God didn't just save you so you can sit back while there's perish. He gives you the awesome opportunity to reflect his love and ultimately to share his good news of promised rest in Jesus. Remember the promised rest. Next we have Moment with the Master, shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. Today our devotion comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 20, verses 13 13 and 14. It reads, Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. When the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. How many times do I have to tell you? Ever said those words before? So how patient are you? In this parable, Jesus spoke of a man who rented his vineyard out to some renters. At the harvest, the owner sent a servant to collect his rent. But the renters beat up that servant. He sent a second one. They beat him up, too. He sent a third. They also beat him up. Finally, he sent his own son, and they killed him. In love, God sent the prophets to call his people back to repentance, back to faith in him, but they rejected them. Finally, God sent his own son, yet most of them yelled, Crucify! Crucify him! and rejected him too. God had given them so much. He had given them his word, his promises, his miracles, and yet many rejected him. Well, God's given us so much too, hasn't he? He's given us his word, his grace, his love, his mercy, his guidance, his protection, the forgiveness of our sins, adoption into his family, and eternal life in heaven. But do we always appreciate it? Do we receive those things with joy and live our lives in response to them? Thank the Lord that he is patient. He's so patient and loving that he did send his own son to die so that we might not die in our sins, but live, live with him forever. He's so patient he sent his beloved son to die that we might become heirs, heirs of eternal life. May we live our lives appreciating that. I'm thankful to have a patient and loving God, and so are you. Amen. The following mission blog update was shared on wells.net on April 13, 2013. Reflecting on Blessings in Japan Brad Wardell serves as a missionary in Japan and is a coordinator for Asian publications for multi-language publications. Wardell and his wife, Andrea, live in Tokyo. What did Jesus' disciples do the Monday after Easter? I don't know if they went fishing or not, but undoubtedly they thought about the amazing events that they witnessed and heard about the previous day. This year, the day after Easter, 
My wife, Andrea, and I enjoyed a picnic lunch at a nearby park. We looked at the cherry blossoms and talked about the events of the previous weekend. We counted all the blessings. We had a good turnout for our Good Friday worship, our English Easter service worship on Sunday night, and our Japanese Easter morning on Sunday morning. There were beautiful flowers on the altar and beautiful music from our choir and bell choir, members singing Easter Alleluia's, first-time visitors singing along. Praise the Lord for the adult baptism on Easter morning. We had fellowship meals in connection with both Easter services. There were visitors from the Tohoku area, two people we met through earthquake tsunami relief activities. After our Easter worship on Sunday, our members hosted a children's Easter event. It was attended by 23 children. On Sunday evening, our new, pa- new pastor, Pastor Nakamoto, and his family moved into the new parsonage that the church is renting for them. The risen and ascended Savior continues to provide pastors for his flock. The members of a Aganai Lutheran Church work together like a family to make this weekend happen. They serve with love for the Savior who died for them and was raised again. It is indeed a privilege to be living and serving among them. This blog was shared on blogs.wells.net. You can find more blogs and also look at Wells Missions on Flickr with pictures from the Japanese mission by visiting wells.net. God help Pastor Wardell and his wife Andrea, as well as their new pastor, Pastor Nakamoto, who is serving with them in Japan. We'll close this episode with a hymn sung by the students of Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary Chapel shared on the Chapel Podcast. It's Christian Worship Hymn 545. Send, O Lord, your Holy Spirit.
You've been listening to episode 19 of Canaan Podcast. Visit com for more information on the artist and music featured on this podcast. We'd like to thank Koine for sharing their music with us. Visit com. Today we heard Precious Lord, Take My Hand, from their album The Vine. We also had music featured from the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary Chapel Service. The daily chapel services are available at wls.wells.net. Finally, visit wells.net to read the mission blog updates, as well as other news items about work done by the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Canaanbound Podcast proudly supports the message and work done by the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Once again, my name is Tom Barthel, gladly serving as your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.